to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that can confirm and really fully endorse that if you do find yourself in any Asian grocer of any kind, and there's a food court or maybe a restaurant there, eh, just go ahead and eat there. Do a meal. You, you probably will not regret it. You can get something before you shop, after you shop. It's almost guaranteed to be at least good. Would you agree, Amanda? Uh, yes, for sure. <laughs> You know, those little, they got a little window in the back, maybe, maybe even the, it's kind of a little hidden or tucked away. I say take a chance on it. Grab yourself a chair, you know, pull up to a table if they have one and just, just order something, see what happens. Especially if you see other Asians eating there. Oh, okay. That's, that's the tip. I mean, I guess his honor would agree, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you have no idea why we're talking about eating in an Asian grocer, that is because you have found a book club episode on Crying in H Mart, which is by Michelle Zahner. Also goes by Japanese Breakfast. That's her, like, stage band name, I guess. Anyway, (laughs) you found a book club episode about that. We are, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast, a book club analysis podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook under that handle, all one word, so at the Lightly Literary Podcast. Um, You can follow us, too, on Apple, Spotify, uh, Google, I I think, too. Who knows? All the big podcast providers, (laughs) Amazon, I think I just put us up there, too. But anyway, check us out. Give us a follow and rate us wherever you find that. If you've never listened to the show before, this is a decent starting place, though, because it is a book club episode, it's going to be an analytical deep dive episode into this memoir, again, Crying in H Mart. And so if you haven't read that book and you don't want it spoiled or you just don't want to listen until you've read it, then feel free to hit pause. We have a book recommendation up in the feed, and then we'll post part two next week. And so, yeah, this is going to be an analysis and a deep dive of the first half, which is, what is it, Amanda? One through nine? Yep, chapters one through nine. Chapters one through nine. So that's what we'll be covering today. That's what we'll be analyzing. We hope you're uh, here for the ride and here for the analysis. I think we we usually set these up in the book racks, but you did pick this one, Amanda. Do you want to briefly explain why? Uh, yeah, it was recommended to me um, by my cousin. She's She was like, I actually just sat there and cried. And I was like, oh, well, an emotional hmm. memoir. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that I'd give it a shot based on my cousin's recommendation. Awesome. Okay. A family wreck. We love that. That's, um, yeah. Those can be hit or miss, I suppose, but I'm trying to think of the last time someone in my family recommended a book. My mom does, actually. She, she gives me books occasionally. I read one, I think, a month or two ago she gave me. Pretty solid. Our literary tastes, I would say, are not aligned, but that doesn't mean you can't get a crossover wreck. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's we, we, we're a big tent podcast, too. It's not like we're a themed show <laughs> or like right. a genre show. So we, we really try and cover all literary dimensions here as best we can anyway. Um, any content warnings you could think of for this episode? Well, I'm going to try and keep this a consistent segment just because without it, without it put into the doc, you know, I'm just going to keep forgetting <laughs> to, to give them for people yeah. who are sensitive to them. So I put um, death, uh, cancer treatment and alcoholism and like, I guess... Would you also put maybe like abusive parenting? Maybe I'm not sure how else to phrase it. Uh, I'm thinking of her father, by the way, not her mother, which is I think a little more complicated. Like her, yeah. remember the pages about her father's backstory? There's some pretty yeah. bleak stuff in there. Yeah. So yeah. those topics definitely cancer treatment and sort of like end of life care. That's a big one. Also, mm-hmm. you know, death of family members and things. The memoir is about literally the selling point. Or um, that's not the right term. The, the like description would read about how she has to take care of her mother during cancer treatment. So it's kind of the whole book. That's that's the premise of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a couple warnings there. Anything? Yeah, anything that I missed or that we should mention? 
No, I think that's really Excellent. spot on. Okay. Well, let's get into the analysis. We're going to do our analysis. Uh, we kind of revamped this a few books back, but we're going to do it chronologically. So we'll go through chapters one through three to start. I'll do a brief summary of them, and then we'll give some analytical thoughts on them. Um, this memoir opens, fittingly enough, with a tear-soaked tour of H-Mart. Uh, it's kind of the H-Mart of her imagination, though doesn't she mention there's like a one she loves in Philly? Is it the Philly one? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So there's one in Philadelphia she loves. But H-Mart is, it is basically an Asian grocer, though I believe it also, you could call it international. It's just that the, you know, the aisle or the aisle for uh, like East Asian food is is not as big as like the South Asian and Northern Asian, you know what I mean? Like it's an Asian grocer, right? Mm-hmm. Is, that a, is that how they brand themselves? Yeah. So it's um, Korean owned. Okay. But um, the... Um, but yeah, the the foods and everything they they're from yeah, it's international. They they even have some stuff from like Mexico, South America, yeah. and stuff like that too. The, and Russia. The equivalent <laughs> where we're from is called Super G Mart. Don't know if it's similar owners or not, but yeah, it's it, I would call it an international grocer, but I mean if you count the aisles, it's like there's one aisle just for um not for uh what's the what's the chili paste? Gochujang. Uh, yeah, gochujang. It's, it's like there's a whole gochujang <laughs> aisle, and then there's like a third of an aisle for, yeah, like Russian. So it's it's predominantly, I would call it an Asian grocer. But anyway, international grocer. Uh, Zahner discusses quite amply uh, and ably the feeling of being in an H-Mart and kind of the familiar comforts to her. I will say up front, I've, I'm terrible at pronunciations. It's going to be a long one for me, Amanda. I'm going to be ashamed of my words and deeds, I think, on this one, uh, because the food names are just flying fast. She intersperses a lot of the traditional or correct, I should just say, like Korean food names. Um, mm-hmm. There's just there's just so much of that going on. It's pretty immersive. Like she really walks you through some of the aisles, gives little bits of memories of the things that her mother made growing up and some of the Korean food they enjoyed. Did you find it immersive to be in the H Mart? Yeah, I was like, oh, that's really nice. And, and all the food names and stuff, I was just like, my mouth is just watering. <laughs> <laughs> it's intense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And she, she relishes those things. Um, so we kind of do this tour. Uh, in the meantime, we're also told that her mother had died. And th- this reminds her of her mom. It's why it makes her kind of sad to be there. Um, we then get jumped ahead to the date of her mother's death, which is in October of 2014. She begins to recount more specific facts about her mother. Um, the most important of which, fittingly enough for the opening, is that her mother really loved food. She showed love to her family through food. She was a big... I mean, this is... I always find this description odd because I am this. So when people aren't, I almost think they're like alien, but she just, she's like a food lover. She just likes eating different food. (laughs) Um, I know that some people don't though. I I get that that is kind of a hobby in a sense, like people who are curious and and eat widely and intensely. It is kind of its own little hobby world though. Again, it's like, well, shouldn't everyone be foodies? I don't get it. (laughs) But um, yeah, the big family's a big foodie. Uh, We then learn more about her family backstory. She was an only child. They lived in the country outside Eugene, Oregon, so very rural kind of growing up, though they weren't farmers or anything, um, just lived in the country. And her mother is revealed in the early sections chapters to be kind of a, you can put a word to it, taskmaster slash perfectionist. Um, This is my non-doctor diagnosis. She might have some kind of OCD, or at least she keeps a very pristine home. Uh, Any adjectives that you've thought of? Um... 
<laughs> it's, it, reading about that section and stuff, I was like, oh, that is my mom. We're going to keep the therapy thing. on this episode to a minimum, but <laughs> that might be half the episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cultural norm, like, to, um, mm. to be that... Um, obsessed with a clean home right it's definitely right. that's that's a cross board it, i think that it's more unusual to have in in the korean household mm-hmm. the the mother not be obsessed with cleaning should so we the, say, should we say now because i didn't even realize this who knows you know these are our, our episode is kind of our episode structure is kind of archival and certainly i doubt many of our listeners listen to these in order or anything um you're half Korean. Do you want to talk about that just briefly? I don't think people <laughs> yeah. would, might know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm half Korean. My mom's Korean and my, my dad is um, from Maine, actually. So Extremely weirdly similar to the... I mean, who know the intricacies of family life. Like, you could be polar opposites. But just the, <laughs> the logline demo, the birth certificate right? background, you're like <laughs> weirdly similar to this family. <laughs> Not it, the only yeah, child, though. Strange. Big difference. Yeah, I do have a younger brother who looks way more Asian than I do, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> we might get into those yeah. identity issues later, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's... And also, my, my family is very much... And, and this is another cultural thing. It's like the importance of food in Korean culture because like fairly recently in the in the in the Korean psyche, like the the lack of food is something that has affected mm-hmm. uh, affected my grandparents. Granted, my, my grandfather is ninety eight now mm. and so he was born during a time of cultural upheaval, but even my mom growing up, um, she started off wealthy and then like was not wealthy. Um, for, yeah, because yeah. my grandfather made some bad investments, um, just like th- this family or a exactly. member of this family, right? Uh, so, uh, so the obsession with food and the idea of like food bringing people together is very much also a a cultural um, I- identity thing. So. Let's um maybe we settle on because obviously this memoir you know the whole thing is unpacking their relationship and there's no one adjective let's just say in, she's intense she's an intense mom and if whether that becomes cultural personal psychological some blend some mishmash I'm sure it's a, it's obviously probably a blend there's no one factor but it's intense I guess <laughs> the early chapters reveal that she's yeah she's pretty pretty demanding and and Zoner uh, as a young child reciprocates by like really being attached you know she's wants to obey her mom is very close um into the third chapter let's wrap up the summary the third chapter reveals more food-based backstory so there's just more interspersing of their the things they ate growing up how what it meant to them you know how their family loved food most importantly though at this point we learn more about zoner's grandmother so her mom's mom in korea she's also i would again quick word would be intimidating uh who liked to smoke drink and gamble and this one i'm going to tag you in for for sure the probably dominant memory displayed in the book is that she like to do the finger butt ass prank I, I that'll have to be something that you can explain and unpack uh, i'm so glad we laid out your background because otherwise it would sound like i'm 
<laughs> it would be it's it'd be such a weird episode if the listener didn't know that because otherwise it would be like why does Travis just keep defer, deferring and demanding you explain things but anyway so you know there's a cultural thing but the short version is she's kind of scared by her of her grandmother she's also pretty intense and um, spends a lot of time like hiding from her when they're in Korea together um, it, the grandmother even has a pretty badass final quote uh, before she, the last thing she remembers her grandmother saying before the grandmother dies which is that she calls Zahner a chicken shit who didn't let her grandmother wipe her ass. That was, and then she laughed. So, you know, pretty intense. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on this, this cultural tradition, this like prank? I guess it, it felt the like dumb the, yeah, it felt like the equivalent in American culture, which at least I as a white American can speak to of like pantsing. Wait, what's that called? Not mooning. That's when you do it. But it's like it would be like that level of invasive. But as kids, it's more goofy. But obviously, it, it's you know, it's obviously a little sexual, so kid has some real trauma behind it. But then, you know, kids don't when they're when I'm you know, kids are pantsing each other. It's meant as like a practical joke. Is it a practical joke, or am I misreading this? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's meant to be like a silly. Kids, yeah. you won't see adults do it unless they're like maybe drunk or something. But like, <laughs> just like with pantsing, like if if I was pants by an adult, like I think that would be fighting terms for many, you know, adults. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that would be pretty insane if an adult. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the dong team is is um, like my brother and I did it to each other growing up. Not mm-hmm. it's not like we would do it like you know all the time, but it's just like if we were just being hyper or silly and and like we went to a korean church growing up too when i was little and um all the kids there would do it like mm. we wouldn't have like a massive it's not like a water fight where everybody gets involved it's just like one or two kids like chasing each other around it's, it's a way it's almost like tag but <laughs> like yeah. a more invasive tag yeah it's like it's like wedgie tag wedgie i yeah, think doesn't she in go. the book name the wedgie is kind of the American equivalent. I guess the only thing I'd ask them before we haven't, I know we haven't done much analysis yet, but <laughs> uh, we'll get to the, our, our quotes and thoughts. Um, what about the adults doing it to the kids? Cause that was the thing I couldn't quite connect. I was like, what's an American thing that an adult, an American adult would do to an American kid that m- might be equivalent to this. I was thinking like, you know, tussling someone's hair, yeah, maybe like, like in movie. sports, like slapping someone's ass, but that's a pretty different cultural sports thing of like, I don't know. It's also kind of a masculine weird. I don't know. I just could. That was the part of it where I was like, huh, that is like a unique cross-cultural thing. I, don't, I can't really think of an equivalent. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Is it common for adults to do it as a joke to like give kids a hard time? Like, I you little shit and then they bop them. No, like my my grandmother would never have done that to me. Okay. She was also pretty like, you know, serious and stuff, but and gotcha. my grandfather who's more playful would never never did it to me or okay. to my cousins. So that's like definitely I feel like just That's important then. Her grandmother doing. No, that. definitely. Yeah, it adds layers for sure to her grandmother's kind of intensity, you know, her and she spent her childhood like walking around backwards in the apartment <laughs> to not give her the butt, right? Like not give her the <laughs> angle or whatever. Um, let's get to our thoughts on this one. I'm going to start with a pretty simple quote right here in the opening. I just think this memoir, for as brutal as it can be with uh, its emotional intensity, um, it's also such a celebration of food. And I just don't want to underwrite like... I think a lot of the joy in the book or a lot of even the, the best moments and best writing is... Yeah, is is about food and its impact on people and the culture you're from and everything. Um, this is a paragraph about how kind of 
her Korean background affects her food habits. Uh, it says, I relied on my mom for access to our Korean heritage. While she never actually taught me how to cook, Korean people tend to disavow measurements and supply only cryptic instructions along the lines of add sesame oil until it tastes like mom's. She did raise me with a distinctly Korean appetite. This meant a reverence for good food and a predisposition to emotional eating. We were particular about everything. Kimchi had to be perfectly sour. Some gul shawl, perfectly crisp. There's my first fumble of the day. <laughs> stews, <laughs> had be, yeah, um, stews had to be be piping hot or they might as well have been inedible. The concept of prepping meals for the week was a ludicrous affront to our lifestyle. We chased our cravings daily. If we wanted the kimchi stew for three weeks straight, we relished it until a new craving emerged. We ate in accordance with the seasons and the holidays. So it's it's a real ebb and flow. And I think the idea of kind of like following your stomach and following your palate, like you said, there's some culture and history there for sure. A, a country that has spent spent a lot of its recent history war-torn and recovering from just, like, compounding conflicts. I mean, this isn't a world history podcast, so we don't need to go into it. But like you said, there's cultures that have different, you know, relationships to food because of shortages and famines and, you know, invasion, uh, many invasions. I don't know. Yeah, it just, I think there's a lot in that paragraph you can unpack. Yeah, the I, I love that she also mentioned that um, they eat according to the the holidays mm-hmm. and the the um, time of year, the season, because it's very true. Even now, like there's expectations of okay, so this particular noodle is um, only eaten during the summer because, and they have like it's so funny they have the these health reasons for only eating it during certain seasons um not only because of like food availability and and they're you know um following along with like what's available uh because of the season but also just like relating it to this is the best thing to eat during the summer because it is healthy for you and it keeps you cool it what's Mm -hmm. weird is during the summer a lot of the time you're encouraged to eat hot soups. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> they make a huge point of that throughout the book. Every soup has to be, you know, scalding on the, on the brink of scalding. It's sort of like unacceptable, you know, um, if you, if you don't. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of family history and she's, uh, she's almost, I don't know. It's, it, there's so much in the narrative since it's not entirely chronological. I almost lose sense of like which reflections came when, but it's every chapter you get some new, you know, tradition that they had, some new food that they would enjoy for different reasons. And it's, yeah, there's just so much of it here, but a, gr- a good paragraph to set that up. Anything jump out about this section to you? Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed, um, the the grandmother and the mother's relationship um, compared to the mother and Zauner's relationship, which is also compared to the grandmother yeah. and Zauner's relationship. I I just I like how that's kind of set up the this multi generational like this chain of of mother daughter relationships, and especially since it seems like communication is <clears throat> is what's like. Uh, not lacking, but it's like an interesting way that they do communicate, which is the, their communication is actually through food, it seems like, rather than like words. So the mother shows that she's a dutiful daughter just by like sitting around with the grandmother and then they like the grandmother is peeling the the fruit and feeding it to um, Zauner's mom, which is what Zauner's mom does to 
Zauner as well without, you know, overtly saying, like, I love you. Instead, she does. She yeah. prepares food for her. And then right. later, Zauner tries to do the same thing for her mother while she's sick. Yeah, it's it's intense for sure. And they're, I mean, we can get to maybe in later s- chapters or segments kind of intergenerational traumas or whatever but i think that introducing the grandmother early on is pretty important i know she you know she also was it of cancer that she died too kind of early in the story but anyway she, she does pass and that'll be reflected upon and it kind of has ripples throughout the family throughout their history and everything um anything else before we move to the uh, next set of chapters uh nope four and five to four and five we go take it away all right So in these chapters, Zauner starts to get more specific in her memories. She goes to college in Philadelphia and majors in creative writing and film. But she doesn't use her degree as she works in various restaurants and focuses on her music career. She explains that even though she and her mother didn't get along in high school, especially during and after a mental breakdown that led to a lot of truancy and eventually therapy, she knew that her mother loved her and that their relationship was improving because her mother held her tongue about Zauner's life and living conditions, especially when she came to visit. Um, On a trip to New York. Yeah. Um, On a trip to New York to visit a friend and perhaps lay the groundwork for a backup career plan, Zauner finds out that her mom has pancreatic cancer, or what they think is pancreatic cancer anyway. Right, yeah. The following chapter explores in more detail what strained the relationship she had with her mother in high school, which included teenage angst, sure, but there was also some real depression, um, lack of communication, and a lack of appreciation for her mother's efforts, because her mom is a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Um, Especially when she compares her mother to her friend's mother, um, who's yeah. almost like not quite a hippie, but has some like interesting creative. Yeah, outlets. it's just a much looser sense of parenting in that family too. It's more like she even says it's more like a friendship. It felt like to her than a parent, what she would understand to be a parent-child relationship. Yeah, that that section I thought was pretty telling too. And I think if you're going to read this memoir. You know, through, of course, the obvious lens, you should, one of them, of like immigrant families and and second generations after immigration. This is, I think, a pretty, you know, important moment in the story, this kind of contrast between them. There's a paragraph in 84 uh, about her mother's like parenting and some of the disconnection that happens between them when she's younger, teenage. Uh, Let me read some of the quotes here because it's it kind of gets across some of the intensity It's talking about her mother. It says, My mother doubled down, morphing into a towering obelisk that shadowed my every move. She needled me over my weight, the width of my eyeliner, the state of my breakouts, and my lack of commitment to the toners and exfoliants she'd ordered for me from QVC. Everything I wore was an argument. I wasn't allowed to shut my bedroom door. After school and my friends would head to one another's houses for weekday sleepovers, I was whisked away to extracurriculars, then stuck in the woods, left to grumble alone in my room with the door left open. Well, there, there's two elements there. The first is the the QVC, which, as a casual kind of factoid, is I think at first meant to be humorous or almost like endearing of like, oh, you know, she's got a million creams and she's so meticulous about her appearance. Then, of course, when that becomes something that she places on her daughter, it becomes like a much more nefarious part of their relationship and like this really intense. I mean, she she puts like an obelisk, <laughs> uh, it sort of blacks out the sun because it's 
Yeah, it, her mom is clearly a very fastidious person with her appearance and sort of her self-care. And when her daughter is not, as most teachers or teenagers kind of aren't, that becomes awkward. And then the other quote in there that I wanted to open up or thought was interesting was, I guess, just the um, the element of isolation. It's a very strange woodland life that they have it's not the i think a lot of people when they dream of like isolating in the woods it becomes almost a thorough romantic ideal and this is like a different yeah it it, it kind of affects her life in really intriguing ways yeah because she has to she makes the point of like she has to rely on her mom for like her social skills a lot of the time her Mm -hmm. dad's fairly absent um and so it's like this this love hate relationship in in high school where she yeah uh, can't quite you know she's not allowed to go to sleepovers and stuff like that she's allowed like I think she said like once a week maybe or once a month to sleep over at her friend's house with right the, right with the awesome mom um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah she she leads a fairly lonely existence um, aside from from her mother so totally she relies on her mom a lot for that yeah yeah it's it's strange it's too because you it's such a strange juxtaposition this life because on the one hand you have when you if I were to say to you a family lives seven miles into the woods you know picture their life it's like oh it's it's free and loose and rough and and woodsy and you're dirty all the time and you're in the mud and like she gets some of that going with her father that freedom kind of wild freedom with dirt biking and stuff but at the same time like inside of the home the domestic sphere it's like a it's like a QVC prison of, of you know she's vacuuming every day like I don't, I don't know why that always gets to me maybe because because as a teenager, I think vacuuming became one of my, I wouldn't, my mom never really set up chores, not like a list, but I remember vacuuming the stairs and like doing some of the vacuuming and like the idea of somebody vacuuming every day to me is like sociopath behavior. I know it's not, I know it's like a reasonable thing, but for some reason that's the chore to me that it's like, if a person is doing that daily, that's indicates something is, is wrong. I don't know. It's just such a bias on my part, but <laughs> yeah. It, so it's this weird life of contrasts of like, you would assume one thing, but it's very much not that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's, it's the mother's battle with the outdoors a lot of the time is is cleaning in the, in the home and having that pristine, but also, like, her daughter getting hurt and, like, getting dirty and stuff. Like, she would yell at her about that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, she apologizes <laughs> to her, the mother. Instead of being coddling. Yeah, she has to apologize one time for an injury on a tree. That's a pretty, yeah, that's also a pretty significant early moment to show the dynamic there of kind of the strict intensity of the of her mom and, like, the shame she would feel for disappointing her. What about this uh, section jumped out to you? Mm-hmm. Um, I liked, uh, on page 60, on my page 65, um... There's a little simile that I, I picked up on and I, and I quite enjoyed. I, I like a lot of the way that uh, Zauner writes, so I've I've found mm-hmm. it very pleasant to uh, yeah. to find some of these similes and metaphors. Um, My mother looked at me as if I were a worm, an unfamiliar speck, eating away at all her efforts. Just that one little line where she's um. This is the scene where uh, her mom is like spanked her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then oh, yeah. tells her father to come in and spank her as well. Um, <laughs> but she's, you know, a high school student, so she's 
almost an adult and she's like I weigh more than my mom <laughs> like I'm stronger yeah. than my mom yeah um, but I, what I liked about this um, this simile is that it it goes back to kind of like it's a little nod to us and, and a reminder to us that this is a food memoir so she's a worm eating away at her mother's efforts um, so I, I just I, I quite enjoyed that I was like oh instead of you know actually using food here she's uh-huh. Using an image, and I, I quite liked that. Yeah, yeah, that is that is well done. It's a good one. Any other thoughts on this section or other themes jumping out? Um, yeah, the um, I, I found it interesting on my page fifty five. She she mentions um, the scarcity mentality when she's talking about. I didn't even realize that the lead singer of the Yeah Yeah Yeahs um, was half Korean. Like she, I, I mean. Mm. I didn't know that. I, I'm only I kind of for, aware. Half forgot who they were. Yeah, I, I kind of remember them having some hits, but I don't really. I never listened to them. So yeah, that was like, oh yeah, interesting. I, I didn't know. Yeah, I, I've only got I think uh, one album by them, and and I had no idea that the lead singer was half Korean. But, um, and I didn't know about their their live shows and how she's Karen O, the lead singer, is um, apparently quite wild on stage, but. Mm. Um, this I, I found it interesting that um, Zauner talks about like this is almost like a role model role model for her in a lot of ways. But then at mm-hmm. the same time, she also has this feeling like, well, there's already a, a an Asian, a half Asian woman doing these things on the stage, so there's not any space for me to do that stuff on the stage. So I just found that interesting, which is she relates it to the scarcity mentality. Um, like the the idea of like there's an oversaturation in a field but it's like one person doing it is not oversaturation but because she's a minority she does feel like it is oversaturation so i just found that really interesting and and pretty mm-hmm. telling about her mentality and i do wonder if the rest of the memoir will go more into her music career because she's obviously since become most famous for her music she is a like a professional musician she just wrote the obviously being a songwriter she's pretty pretty skilled and gifted writer she got this memoirs really big so you know she's got multi multi-faceted uh personality professional skills happening but yeah she is kind of you know her her resume day job would probably say musician right that's that's her her career so yeah i wonder if it'll continue to track that growth and like how she how her mom influenced her music or maybe didn't and and we see a little bit later in a different chapter the kind of the ugly side of of dirtbag touring <laughs> where you don't shower yeah. at the places you crash and your your van stinks like really acrid sweat and stuff so <laughs> You get a little taste of that life. Um, let's jump to chapter six and seven. Um, this is when Zahner begins to take her trip home. So when her mom's diagnosed, this is when she's going to go home and finally make amends. She views that trip as kind of a chance to be an upstanding daughter that she wasn't during her high school years. They've they've not fallen out, but sort of distanced themselves since college. And so this is her chance to kind of, I don't know, reconnect. And also, yeah, it's, it's more significant than reconnecting, though. She really wants to show that uh, love you know that she wants to reciprocate that um she arrives in eugene after her mom's first chemo treatment and we get one of the think things that i think has been kind of imbalanced and odd in this memoir which is a really intense couple pages about her father's life who as it's revealed to us is like has had a severely intense traumatic life um he's a recovered 
I put a question mark next to that because recovering seems like a much better word, if not even recovering at all, addict, who has shifted his addiction from like amphetamines to it seems like alcohol, frankly, um, but who works incredibly intensely. He inherited his brother's business, I think like a food was it like a food transportation wholesale something <laughs> i guess something yeah anyway so he he works all the time uh he has online affairs that she discovers and never tells her mother about so he's kind of living a double life um and is pretty clearly as i already mentioned an alcoholic though again he's recovered from the the amphetamine addictions but he's i think just supplicated it again not a medical doctor and certainly not qualified to diagnose him but if you're at a bar most days of the week and having like eight drinks and then driving home that's not those are not good signs i mean that's not yeah. like a healthy no doctor would recommend that lifestyle so anyway he's he's got things going on um we snap out of that pretty quickly but we we get that backstory when he picks her up from the airport did it strike you as kind of oddly intense or too brief i don't know it's not about him, yeah. to be fair, I guess. Right. Yeah, it's more about her relationship with him and why it's strained. Yeah. But Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was of... it was pretty intense. I was like, whoa. <laughs> if he's not dead, I wonder what he thinks of this memoir. And she no... mentioned that he was um that he reached out to her at one point and he's in the Philippines. Oh, he was in the yeah. Philippines, yeah. He's like living on the beach or something. She yeah, chasing some, the young ladies. I was going to say she, she makes said. some joke about him kind of looking for younger women. I don't know if that I didn't read that as nefarious at the time, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't when know. I first read that, I was like, oh, I don't think she has a good relationship with him if she's saying that. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, yeah, great point. I forgot about that line. Yeah, okay. Enough about him, though. It's, again, that's like two pages of info dump. It's pretty fast. Um, her treatment, first treatment, seems to go pretty well. She has a lot of empty, kind of empty lines about, like, I feel fine. It's Things are good. I'm okay. So they get this quiet routine going. Um, Zahner takes an opportunity structurally to tell us more about her early life at that time. Uh, she talks about having dual identities, being Korean and American. Uh, they traveled. The, you know, Eugene doesn't really have an H Mart type store, so they have to like travel far to go to an H Mart. Uh, she talks about going to church to learn the Korean language, but how the, her friends there weren't really true friends, and like she didn't hang out with them outside of church. Uh, her mother also is not a member of the church, but just kind of used that to get her to learn Korean, basically. And so there's that disconnect where it's like. She's not being, she doesn't have religious friends from the church. Also, even then, I don't know if it's in these chapters, but she talks about how the people there were confused by her because she doesn't, does not appear to be Korean to them. And so it's, you know, if they're her friends there, they're both their parents are Korean and hers aren't. And that creates a disconnection too. Um, her knowledge of the Korean language also is spotty. Uh, I will say this and then take it out later because I have no idea what I'm wading into. She calls it Kong, Konglish. Is that, uh, that's not like a that that's a thing I can say as a white person, right? That's not yeah. it just yeah. it kinda sounds yeah. offensive to me. It's no. I don't know why. <laughs> it like yeah. sounds really I it's just one of those things when she typed it, I was like, I bet that's I, I'm certain she's not making it up, obviously, but I was like, I wonder if I, that's a thing that I could say just to explain what she talks about, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Anybody can say, yeah, Konglish is just the 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 mixture of Korean and, and English because there's a lot of English words that uh, the the Korean language has taken on, like cheese and pizza, like gotcha. a lot of its food. But yeah, she explains it well too. There's pronunciation differences, all that kind of stuff, and her Korean seems okay, but like she relies on on Konglish a lot. So there's talks about that. So we we get a lot of backstory here about basically her her identities and how she grew up. I'm not sure if the church stuff rang true to you. 
Yeah, the if you want to get in with the Korean community, you got to go in with one of the churches, yo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My time in Charlotte sure. has taught me this. I, I will just say, again, an outsider to this community for sure. Uh, but there's some professional circumstances and personal ones that have led me to understand this well. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, that all kind of, I nodded along to that as well, you know, not to give too much a year. Again, I'm going to spend the episode trying not to put pressure on you or whatever uh, to reveal things. <laughs> but the, the using church to learn Korean is um, perhaps something I've heard of. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something that... Um my mom tried to do for me when I was little was mm-hmm. was to do the, the Korean language school and I was man I was such a bad kid but I was just like <laughs> no um, but now I'm looking at it for my own daughter <laughs> no kid likes going like I also hated going to church and my church was objectively nice everyone there was welcoming and kind to me but like I don't I don't know if anyone looks forward to getting up early on an off day of the week I, yeah, it's even when and we, my church growing up, we had a really strong youth group and who would do summer trips that everyone really liked and together. And it was pretty the bonds were strong. But it's like, I, I don't know, the waking up on a Sunday morning thing is just a uh, our church was also, I think, like almost 40 minutes away. It was like out in the country. Well, that may be 30 minutes, let's say. But it was far away. It was like far enough where it was way out in the country, you know, and it was just kind of like, oh, man. So anyway, I don't know what kid like relishes that opportunity it's it's a pretty common <laughs> thing to complain about all right final section uh, her father is also in this section who we now learn oh no i just massively skipped i'm sorry i skipped the thing in the chapters <laughs> um in the second half of this chapter segment so seven her mother's condition rapidly worsens and goes into kind of a spiral she even becomes almost like catatonic um they take a really horrific trip to the hospital where her mother's panicking almost trying to escape the car on the highway so it's like really frightening scenes um she has to stay and recover in the hospital for two weeks after that so the treatment was like way too intense and it seems like almost killed her i don't think they say that but it just like it really devastated her health and she was yeah couldn't articulate she couldn't speak for two days um anyway her father is also spent into a spiral is sent into a spiral by this emotionally this is where we also learn he grew up in like a really abusive household um with a father who had trauma from World War II and then beat his children with his trauma, basically. Anyway, Mm -hmm. he seems undone by this. He has, like, an emotional collapse, you know, really isn't active, is not... What's the present is the word I'm looking for? Is not present in the care. And so even though the mother returns to the house um, and kind of there's this final image of her losing some hair and they're trying to care for her, but it's at the end of this chapter, it's bleak, bleak times, um... Because it's like Zoner is going to have to take it all on, you know. Mm-hmm. I suppose yeah. we could start with the father. Did you have any thoughts on his role in the chapter? I know I spent a lot of time on him, but it, I guess I was struck by how intense all of his own. It, it's funny to say this, obviously, because her mother's, you know, immigration is is a big part of the story, the identities. But it's like her her mother's backstory is almost like idyllic compared to his. That's what I found so weird about it. It's like wow, it's his kind of life that he lived is just wildly intense yeah the even like once he's out of the house and stuff because like the he he, his mother left um the father right um before he was born before the um downer's father was born um and and the person that he suffered the abuse from was actually his older brother right because his father left him yeah yeah raised by brothers yeah, 
raised by his siblings and there, his there was the line in there about how his father when he returned from the war the way he would punish them was by making them step on glass and then would put salt on the cuts like i mean yeah. like this is like that's pr- prisoner of war torture d- tactics like that's not even i don't that's like beyond par- that's like sadism masochism whatever like that's something else, you know, like when it, 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 there was also the line about how he lived under a bridge and w- once was high on meth for like 20 days and didn't sleep. I think that's also physically impossible. I don't know. I mean, meth is something I don't understand either chemically, but like, it's just like things she drops anecdotes and like that. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I, I know, again, it's not about him. And so he's just here to help us understand her burden, her role in caring for her mom. But I think every time it dropped in an anecdote that wild, I was just like, wait what how did what <laughs> i don't know yeah. it, i had a strange reaction to those i didn't it, you kind of have to do it obviously he's a major part of the emotional stakes but i also was just like wait hold on you know like that how does that getting brushed under is just like a fact we have to now accept um right yeah i don't know it, there's there's a certain pacing intensity strangeness to all that um anyway uh, when but he, what what yeah, I found interesting yeah. too about that is um, is her analysis of their relationship. You know, when she's little and she hears these stories, she's like, mm-hmm. he's he's somebody that she looks up to, and she she relies on him to make her life exciting in a lot of ways because her mom yeah. is is such a steady, strict figure in her life. But then, like as she, especially after she finds the the affairs on on his right, computer, right. All of a sudden, it's like he's not this exciting figure. He's actually this like sad person that she. Yeah, it's when you realize your yeah. parents are just people, and many of them are non-functioning or depressed, or yeah, you know, have all the problems kids have, but everything is amplified. I, I suppose, and this is um, let's let me do my silly editorial brain. It just feels like the flow of this book being so jumpy. It's not. It's kind of chronological, but not. She uses memories as she sees fit to intersperse thematic things. I just, it's almost like you really should just give him, it should have just given him a chapter or something to let me like really sink into all of it. Cause when she goes between kind of like her, you know, her treatment's okay. By the way, my dad was basically beaten like a prisoner of war by his father, but it's just like, let me segue back to her treatment. It was just kind of like, there's some, there's something tonally. I mean, she treats it all well. It's well written and everything. It's not like she's insensitive, but there's an odd push and pull to it where I, I just uh, was kind of struck by how serious um, and intense some of it was. I don't, I don't know. And it's not easy. Like I can't, I can't prescribe a better option or something, but it, um, yeah. Anyway, I thought the scene, I won't read quotes cause I know I've been rambling about him, but the scene when he, you know, is wine drunk and kind of just says like, don't ever abandon me. Like you have to take care of me now. It's, it's really pathetic in the sympathetic. I'm saying that word, you know, in a sympathetic way of like, she's a, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's a 25 year old with no plan. And this is the role her parents have. One is on, one is collapsing and the other one is like melting down. It's yeah, it's pretty brutal stuff. She really doesn't shy from anything. What I so the the thing that I like about uh, sound so the organization I know that you were saying with the organization because it's like almost like lightning speed going through uh, some of these people in her life. Um, I actually like that's actually my my please continue <laughs> jumping ahead, but um, because um, I, I like how nonlinear it is, but the intensity of her character not her characters but of the people in her life. Um, and as she examines her relationship with these people, 
it's um, I find it really fascinating because the the purpose in in mentioning these aspects of of these people's lives is in order to analyze her relationship with them so that the entire focus is her relationship with these people and how her um, how she feels about them is informed by certain aspects of their history or of their actions during that time so it doesn't bother me that her father didn't get like a huge page count or anything like that because she's she's fairly dismissive of him at this point and it's kind of like reflected in the fact that she doesn't you know include him a whole lot in the memoir so far yeah Um, yeah that does make sense too and it's also yeah yeah, I, i reiterate this what i said but in the simplest analysis it's just not about him but it I, I don't know. I guess that there's always get that gulf or, or whatever I'm visualizing, like a graph line that dips down abruptly or, or some visual. But it's, yeah, it just is really intense. And I, <laughs> it's it's almost as if I'm reading this, and th- I will say this is not, um, there's a cynical kind of critical way I could say this of like, I'd rather read that instead. That's definitely not true. This memoir is really interesting and, and oh, insightful and like really good. And it, I've, I think it's pretty excellent so far. But that guy has a memoir in him too, just saying. That's oh, a, yeah. it's it's like there's so many of those moments where I'm like what the hell is that are you serious like what, what can we uh, yeah so that's I guess what it's it's not like there's a story within a story I feel like we've read something before where I'm like there's a better book in here you should have written that book I'm definitely not saying that because this is so far it's quite worthy of its own of this journey is so interesting on its own and heartbreaking but yeah I just I thought those sections were really strange and, and interesting um, what else from this section I know I rambled for a while no, you're good. Um, I like um, on page on my page ninety one. Um, her mother, after her first treatment, she um, Zauner gives her mother a bath, and um, she's like trying to be as gentle with her hair as possible because mm-hmm. Zauner's mom's hair is starting to fall out, and and then when Zauner's mom realizes that her hair is falling out, she's like, you know crying and and not yeah. not feeling great about it and yeah <coughs> excuse me um and so Zauner instead of sitting there and crying with her which is what she wants to do um she instead she it says here I instead I felt my body stiffen my heart harden my feelings freeze over an internal voice commanded do not break down if you cry it's acknowledging danger if you cry she will not stop so instead I swallowed and steadied my voice, not just to comfort her. So instead I swallowed and steadied my voice, not just to comfort her with a white lie, but to truly force myself into believing it. It's just hair, Uma, I said. It will grow back. So I really liked that because it reminded me of when, um, of the story, of the couple of stories she, she told of when she fell down the tree and when she would like get a bruise or she would get a cut and her mom instead of coddling her and like you know saying oh my goodness are you okay let me just you know doing that stuff she Mm -hmm. makes her kind of she shows her the tough love stuff and she's like why would you do that you need to get up and you know learn from it don't don't make that same mistake that kind of stuff so uh, I, I thought that that was interesting that her, that Zauner's reaction in this case, she wants to cry with her, which is probably, I mean, an assumption, but her mom at that time probably also wanted to coddle her and stuff, but showing the tough love for their own 
good rather than <clears throat> doing what they want to do, which is to coddle and, and yeah, comfort in Well, that and it way. makes for the perfect segue to the next section because she gets some of that coming up. It's We see maybe, you know, the sources from which her mother is willing to kind of receive... I don't know. I, I this is not the right term, obviously, but like more traditional. I guess just like positive emotional support instead of kind of stoic, unfeeling support. I guess just open and open emotional support. She just sort of gets some of that, and so let's. I guess let's just jump to those chapters, <laughs> final yeah. ones, eight and nine. Yeah, take take it away. We'll get into these. Um, Zauner's mother agrees to try two chemo treatments. Um, she's unwilling to do more if there were no visible signs of her tumor shrinking because her younger sister did 24 treatments uh, for her colon cancer right. and she still succumbed to the cancer in the end. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, while being treated and recovering from the side effects of chemo, which were pretty intense, yeah. um, mom's friend Kye, um, who is from Ulsan in Korea, comes to help take care of Zauner's mom. Uh, Zauner and her m- father are relieved and appreciative at first, but become really wary and even resentful in some ways as she seems to completely take over and monopolize her mom's affection and attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and like only speaking in Korean, not translating, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I thought this was a a great. It's funny to call it a great edition. It's not a novel. It just it happened, but it yeah, it was a fascinating section. Probably the most interesting part of the memoir so far. I mean, in a memoir that's had mostly quite interesting and like very thoughtful, reflective parts. But some of the honesty in that, you know, how Zoner wants to be a bit. She casts herself as almost kind of a hero in waiting, but is not allowed. It's it's pretty honest, you know, and pretty the emotional openness in it is is really. I thought it was such a weird, interesting dynamic. It was some strange images, too. I guess we'll get to that. But, yeah, it's. I thought it was such an intriguing, strange section. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Zenner also returns to Philly uh, for her band's summer tour, which she had put on hold to help yeah. with her mother. Um, and while she's... After she finishes the tour and before she can get back to uh, Eugene, she receives the news that her mother's tumor has been unaffected by the chemo treatments. Right. Um, And so she will not be continuing treatment. And instead, her mother um, starts planning a trip to Korea for the family Mm -hmm. for, like, one final trip. Yeah. Yeah, instead of... Instead of kind of continue on with the fight of treatment, which, I mean, you noted that, but that's an important split. And I think she even makes a note somewhere in this section that she, her mom might not have done any treatment. And if it was up to her, ultimately, that it was kind of outside pressures in the family that made her at least want to attempt something and see if she could pull off kind of this, this miracle cocktail of drugs. But yeah, it seems like she's going to resign to this. Did you did you like the inclusion of her younger sister? Which I didn't look up the spelling. Is it an Unmi? Unmi and so yeah, Unmi is the name of her aunt. Um, if Got you, it. but because it's her her mother sister, so gen like the the gender is very important in, in relationship names. Mm-hmm. Um, so since it's her mother sister, she would call her Emil. Okay, Emil. Yeah, or, or Unmi. Yeah. So to Zauner, she's Unmi. Or is it Unmi? She's yes, yeah, yeah. Unmi. So she would call her Unmi Emo. So she would just call her Emo. And her oldest aunt, her because her mom has an older sister. 
her older sister she would call Kunimo, which is like oldest sister aunt. Got it. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Words that I will now just remember by saying her aunt. <laughs> no, that's good, though. I, I didn't even know. I, it might have even been explained in there. She's done a decent job explaining, especially the dishes. You know, she'll she, she, a lot of the Korean terms, obviously, as rightfully she should. But enough, it's not like breaking my comprehension. I just couldn't tell with that title. Yeah, it makes sense. Did you enjoy her inclusion? I thought it was a Maybe the most literary reach. Now, granted, again, it's a memoir. You assume these things really happened. But the parable that she has with her, where they recount this parable together, I was like, oh, this is quite a literary moment. I, I don't know if I've, again, saying by it is such a strange thing because I know it happened. <laughs> or, you know, it's like I believe that it happened. But it was, it felt weirdly kind of story structure literary like to me. Did, did you enjoy getting that introspection, I guess, or that sort of reflection through the through the uh, parable? I really like that scene. I thought that it was such a sweet scene between the two of them. And, and it seems like in this memoir, we don't get a whole lot of sweet scenes. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, just by the nature of what she's examining. Um, but the parable I found really interesting. And I actually <laughs> I was talking to my mom last night and I asked her, um, what she would choose, and she said she would choose um, the horse as well, which is funny because my mom's my mom's actual life has been kind of like dedicated to family, to helping out family rather than her own career choices, which she would love to have been a successful artist and have her own gallery. <laughs> so I was like, uh, are you sure about that? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I thought that that was really... A sweet little scene, and, and I also liked that she, that Zauner now wonders whether her mother, as well, you know, would have chosen the monkey, which was representative of, of the baby, of choosing a baby for for your, pri- your top priority, so I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, I suppose it was the connection with her mother that it, it was sweet. I do agree with that. It was kind of, it just felt a little tidy to me, I guess, that it was so clearly going to connect back. And it adds another wrinkle of complication, these ideas of perception and how she perceives her mother in this intense, she knows it's love, but it doesn't feel like that to her sometimes. And that's the to the teenage troubled years. But that also she has this kind of acknowledgement anyway this sort of not intellectual acknowledgement but this this understanding that a lot of it is through love anyway it did feel i don't know it it felt a little tidy but you know they have beer and chicken and that was a great little moment of food it always comes back to food (laughs) um always yeah and in a great way really she she writes it well any thoughts on the um other ideas themes in this in this section the key is it kie kai would how did you pronounce it uh, Kie? Kie. Um, I know I didn't pull a quote from that because I wanted to talk about the parable fairy tale. But again, I, I would commend the, the rotting fruit image with the flies, yeah. the undercooked food, the kind of coldness. It, it's very... Like, what's the, from that movie, Nurse Ratchet? Or th- there's like a... Oh, yeah, one it, flew over the cuckoo's yeah, nest. Yeah, <laughs> the cuckoo's nest connection. It, it has this really ominous, and I think her teasing it out, obviously she's like a savior to them at first, but then t- it really spoils and turns. The the note that causes her mom to break down that she won't share with them, it's like, mm-hmm. she's just so flagrantly um, 
living a <laughs> wanting her mom to live another life with her not like to leave i mean but just like in another emotional life in front of them and everything it's it's weird because right. it's you understand that intimacy people have different relationships with different people but then it, it and i think that zoner's honesty about her selfishness and being like well i wanted to be the one connecting with my mom this is our time this is my almost chance to make amends and you're you're ruining it you're taking it i i thought that was part of the brutal honesty of it is how it becomes complicated yeah <clears throat> yeah the and and it's also like it highlights how very opposite she is to zauner's mom in a lot of ways too right, and right. yeah and, and but also how zauner's mom is doesn't seem to care um that that she is so opposite and her her house is now not as pristine as she would have loved it beforehand Mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's intriguing how do you read that her how do you read her presence in the sense of it seems like the first time her mom's been able to really emotionally connect with somebody we don't even really see i mean railed on about the father's presence but i I don't know if they have a strong emotional connection they're obviously close you know they've lived together they have a kind of an okay partnership going and oh well even that seems like a i don't know if that's a good summary but like it doesn't seem like her mom has many people to connect to except for this woman and her family she doesn't see that often so yeah did you did you find this an interesting wrinkle yeah i did and 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 also we get a little bit of like kids background which is that you know she's she was the mistress of her husband um, and her right. stepchildren like pretty much still hate her <clears throat> and yeah, so the yeah. only person that she has uh, to emotionally connect with would it's, it's like she's in a similar situation where she is she has her husband she doesn't even have her own children right 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 um, and then she's got downer's mom so yeah and yeah. So Zanner's mom is like, be easy on her. You know, she she doesn't have a whole lot to, you know, she doesn't have a whole lot to kind of like take care of, like a, a lot of emotional outlets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these kind of immigrant castaway island type feelings, you know, it's like a survival, survivalist on a stranded island kind of a, yeah, heightened by the, the, the woodland life too. No church connections no yeah it's it's all very isolated feeling too so motion that kind of permeates the the memoir anything else in the section you got some food you want to throw out some food talk yeah <laughs> Give some food so chat. on page 93 i i just loved this description it's one of my favorite things to eat too um <clears throat> once when i was a kid i had impressed my mother intuitively dipping a whole raw pepper into some junk paste at a barbecue restaurant in seoul the bitterness and spice of the vegetable perfectly married with the savory salty taste of the sauce itself made from fermented peppers and soybeans it was a poetic combination to reunite something in its raw form with its twice dead cousin this is Mm -hmm. a very old taste my mother had said i was like oh man what a great way to describe that and it is it's like man what a perfect combination it really is so these the the green pepper that she's talking about is not spicy it's a sweet pepper mm-hmm. but it looks like it almost looks like a um a serrano pepper mm-hmm. so it looks like it would be spicy but it's not gotcha. um and the samjang is is actually where you would get the spice but the samjang is is also very mild and it's actually sweeter tasting even though it's made from 
uh, as she says, like soybeans and, and pepper, but it's it's sweeter tasting. Ah, so good. It's just, and I love that imagery and, and the, the twice dead cousin. I was like, ah, oh, I love that. That's such a great way to describe that. <laughs> yeah, that that is, you pulled a really potent one there. I, I almost, I feel like I noticed that, but that's a great quote to pull. It's, it even shows that even, even in the life of, innocent life of food, there's emotional toil and you're going to be covered with the corpses of your cousins or something. It's mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And sometimes her food descriptions are kind of ecstasy celebratory laden, but that one is, yeah, there's an intensity for sure. Um, great. Any final thoughts on the, the last couple chapters here before we do our ending segments? Yeah. Um, just real quick that mm-hmm. uh, uh, she, in these chapters, she starts kind of like diving more into whether she, feels more Korean or whether she feels more American and actually she she feels like she's neither in a lot of ways um so um she says like while in high school she says to her mom like you don't understand what it's like to be the only Korean girl in your high school and her mom says you're not Korean you're American so she's being told that she has an American identity there but she feels Korean she feels isolated from her classmates for multiple reasons and then again later in the scene where she's questioning Kie about the um, about the the raw egg serving her mom raw egg there um, she's like uh, are you sure because you know food poisoning at this point would probably finish her off just like from her right. reaction to everything else and Kie's like you don't understand because you're not Korean you don't have the same Korean taste right. so she's again being excluded from that while not feeling like she is an American that she's an outsider in that point so she we're starting to get more into um, the ident- her Zauner's personal identity and how her identity is being shaped by others perspectives of her too which yeah. I found interesting. And the Kie really exacerbates those things. It's it's come up obviously the the memoir is so hard to track I mean, thematically, it's been pretty coherent, but like where certain memories happen was kind of maddening for me to go back and try and find like quotes (laughs) or memories. I was like, Jesus, when what? Like, it's really hard to kind of pull the little half remembrances. But anyway, I think that that really exacerbates those identity crises of of who is she really and who does she connect with? Where does she belong in terms of her own? Yeah, just personal identity. Let's yeah. conclude this one, Amanda, with our normal segments. You want to do some ending segments here? Yeah, let's do it. We've got two planned, as always, in our part one book clubs. Um, first, we'll make a list. We know everyone out there loves the list, so we've got a top three list assembled here. Fittingly enough for the memoir, I mean, we could have gone with, like, devastating family trauma moments, but we just did food moments instead, <laughs> or descriptions of food. Um, top, top three food moments, let's call it. Uh, we'll work our way from three to one, so we've each assembled three. Do you want to start off with your number three? Sure. Mine is um, from page five, and it's Mm -hmm. um, towards the beginning here. Uh, Let's see here. I spent... uh, Let me start. I can tell you with a straight face what it was like watching my mom's hair fall out in the bathtub, or about the five weeks I spent sleeping in hospitals, but catch me at H Mart when some kids run up, double-fisting plastic sleeves of... And I'll just lose it. Those little rice cake frisbees were my childhood, a happier time when mom was there and we'd crunch away on the styrofoam like discs after school, splitting them like packing peanuts that dissolved like sugar on our tongues. 
Mm-hmm. I love this image and I love the description because it's so apt, but also it sounds terrible, I'm sure, if you're not sure if you've never had it. <laughs> but it's the mm-hmm. it's those puffed it's the puffed rice um, big giant circles. I, I feel like I've given you some before. Yes. Um, yeah, I yeah. definitely had these. <laughs> but but it's true. It's like it looks like styrofoam. It feels like styrofoam, and and yeah, when you make when you break them open, it's like it's like if you were to break open the packing peanuts. And all these things are that are being used to describe it sound terrible. Mm-hmm. But it's actually yeah. like one of my favorite little sweet snacks to eat with my daughter. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. It's always great when you get that. Um against expectations moment i I guess i'm gonna pick up my number three with a moment i already mentioned and i could not this is part of the maddening non-chronological nature of this for for us quote finders quote hunters i couldn't even find where this happened uh but i know that when she's with her aunt i think it was during that fable or fairy tale they have kind of she she says that like one meal they would enjoy together was that she would order up fried chicken and then like a six pack of beer which is just such an iconic pairing across maybe i don't know if this is an american export or import i know fried chicken has some history here in the american south via west africa via slave trade i'm not i'm not boned up on my scholarship there but i just think fried chicken and beer is just it's such a worldly pairing you really can't go wrong it's i don't yeah. know hardly anything beats that combo <laughs> and when it came up in the book i, I just nodded my head in great approval also for the listeners who have never been exposed to it, the Korean method of fried chicken making, I think, is just the should be the international standard. It's like a mm-hmm. double fry method that ends up yep. with a much crispier product and a much cracklier, more intense skin. And it's really quite a phenomenal. If you've never had a Korean style fried chicken, just yeah, do some Googling where you live and see if you can find some. My favorite part about Korean chicken, too, is that it's served with these pickled daikon radish which is really sweet yeah oh man i could eat those all day every day they are so good (laughs) yeah isn't that isn't that whole idea which by the way in this book we haven't talked about it it comes up a ton of how you serve every meal with they call it banchan right it's just all the accompaniments it's the accoutrement though i think it's more than just accoutrement it's like you know supplemental food bites you know yeah so you have like your your main dish which is your meat and then you have all the you and, and part of the panjan too is that there's also soup that comes with it. So each gotcha. meal you're, you're supposed to be served like a little bit of soup too, in mm. place of they don't drink unless it's like alcohol. But they don't drink water with their meal. They right. they don't do that. That's something that you do after. Um, so the soup gotcha. is actually like in place of that in a lot of ways. But yeah, the banchan's like the best part a lot of the time. <laughs> They're not doing the American Midwest tradition of having a glass of milk with your dinner. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, classic. All right, how about for your number two? Um, mine is from page 22, which is the octopus eating the, the yeah, little... Yeah, that was great. Baby octopus, yeah. Um, and I actually, went, um, I remember one time when I was in Korea, I went out to dinner with my my emo and my emo boo so my my aunt and her husband and they took me to um to the 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 seaside place and he ate the octopus and and he was like mm, and and I just saw the tentacles coming out of his mouth and like moving s- like yeah moving and like got like it was trying to like go up his nose at the same time as he's chewing and I was just like Ugh. 
<laughs> eating something that is alive is a big, I think a pretty big ask cross-culturally. I think that's a, that's a significant enough difference, you know, I think for a, for a Amer- white American like myself. I, I mean, I think I've definitely had octopus in a lot of ways. I don't know if I've ever eaten in this preparation, though. Yeah, I love octopus, but not live. And it's really watching intense. My, yeah, <laughs> watching my uncle eat it, I was like, I don't think that I could do that. I would probably gag. But. Well, it is a nice emblematic moment for Zahner, too, to show in her younger childhood years how she clinged to her mom, wanted to approve, wanted her approval. And, of course, doing it through food is the perfect. And it's such a, yeah, it's it feels very primally ritualistic or something to do to be like look mom i'm you know i'm i'm like you i want to you know connect with your family i'm eating this uh raw octopus uh, alive mm-hmm. i shouldn't even say raw it's alive or whatever yeah <laughs> that's a different those it's are different things <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so that's yeah that's intense did you say sorry i feel like i spaced out did you say you did try it or didn't i did not try okay. it no i mm-mm I just couldn't do it after I saw my uncle eat it. He offered. I've almost never (laughs) refused a food. I don't know if I would do that. I've eaten things like tartare and other, you know, for for the American palate, like not typical American. I mean, I've eaten tons of. Anyway, I feel like in America we're spoiled, right? Because we have so many immigrants, which is awesome. It means we get so much food here. But yeah, I don't. I don't know if I could eat something that was clearly still living. It's in. I don't know. It's like in Japan how you can eat because of food differences and regulation differences there. You can eat raw chicken, you know, like there are certain mm-hmm. chickens that are raised and and are biologically safe to eat raw. It's like a delicacy. That's true, right? That's not just like a rumor I've heard. Isn't that a real thing? No, that, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could do that either. That's one that because we're, we're taught here because our chickens are so industrially processed that like. You know, you're taught like when you prepare chicken at home, it's like the ultimate evil. Like you got to bleach everything when you're done. Like don't don't touch it for long. And it's so like the idea of eating raw chicken that would be tough for me too. I, I could probably talk myself into it, but that one that one in a living octopus uh, limb would be that'd be up there in the in the moment. I don't know what I would do. I would question it. I'd probably want to try it though. Be curious. Braver than I am. <laughs> yeah, it's like everything wants mentality, right? Except not with meth. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, as this memoir reminds us um, my next quote my number two is what to me was the most joyful uh, hungriest mood inducing hunger it, it put in me and this is on 116 the beef wrap she makes it says blissfully I laid my palm flat blanketed it with a piece of lettuce and dressed it just the way I liked a piece of glistening short rib a spoonful of warm rice a dredge of some is it samjang Samjang. Mm-hmm. Samjang. And a thin slice of raw garlic. I folded it into a perfect little satchel and popped it into my mouth. I closed my eyes and savored the first few chews, my taste buds and stomach having been deprived for months of a home-cooked meal. This is the ultimate kind of argument, this little glistening package satchel. Great noun. Great poll. Um, this little tight little package of deliciousness. This is the ultimate argument for Korean barbecue, you know, to, to yep. people who have never tried it or aren't sure what it's about or what the experience is like. And it's kind of the benefit of, of, of the whole banchan like dining eth- ethic or prepper aesthetic <laughs> a preparation style you just can make bites it's like you get to envision a hundred flavor combinations or ways to prepare something or ways to enjoy a food and you just kind of make it happen you know you just you fry up that cut of meat with this thing and this combo and put in this addition and then that and yeah I thought that little glistening short rib bite was 
it, it made me the hungriest so far and it was a good celebration i think too the home cooked meal oh yeah <laughs> the uh the korean sandwich with lettuce <laughs> yeah yeah really fantastic and and you know there's also the element too i feel like you know america a country that notoriously overeats or whatever korean barbecue is that interesting combo of like you get such a diversity of flavor but you don't have to overeat but you definitely can it's like if that's what you wanted if you're just like i need a feast like i can fulfill that but also you can have this little flavor tour and you don't have to feel so bad about it because you didn't eat you know you didn't overeat a meal like it's i don't know it can kind of fulfill many things the like korean barbecue experience it's an interesting interesting thing again listeners if your hometown has that and you've never tried it it's it's definitely worth experiencing like give it a shot see see what flavors you decide discover mm-hmm. uh, how about your number one food moment mine is <clears throat> i kind of already mentioned it before but it's on page 107 and oh, yeah. it is the um the the raw egg and mm-hmm. how that description and and how her it's how she zauner actually does like to eat it which is the a runny <clears throat> a runny center uh, which i also like to eat it that way um, because it's delicious, especially over rice. Um, but what happens is even though she loves eating it that way, she's being overly cautious because of her mom's, you know, compromised immune system. Right. <clears throat> but by being cautious about food and putting the brakes on that, <clears throat> she's accused of not being Korean, um, which I, I found just a really interesting scene. Yeah, no, it's... Yeah, and the, and the role that, that her friend has just in, injecting this new uh, wrinkle of conflict into the story and everything, it's, it is fascinating. Such a... Yeah. And I guess that does show, too, how her, her relationship to food... She also has a moment we didn't discuss, but where she has to calorie count for her mother and it makes yeah. her hate food and kind of she reviles food in, in those days because of how annoying it becomes and, and I read the quote way earlier in the book how their family's approach to food was like eat eat celebratorily and don't hold right. back and follow your stomach and let it guide you and, and basically indulge your taste buds and everything and so turning it into a I don't know, a list item in Excel spreadsheet makes her hate it and so it's yeah that right. section, that chapter has a couple of new like interesting reflections on food in the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you going to spreadsheet your Hagen Dazs later? <laughs> uh, no, I would become very depressed. Um. <laughs> yeah, a way to drive yourself to madness. I, you know, it's like we can't. I, I don't know. I've done things like that before, not quite like that, but it's so I can't. I can't shame. It, different personalities, you know, respond differently to just different strategies. I'm just speaking in vagaries now, but I, yeah. I, so I, I got it though. It's contrasting with how she grew up. It's it's quite a turn. You know, I could see why mm-hmm. she hated that. My number one description of food, which I think we've spent a lot of time on, but I'm th- I'm happy for it. It's who doesn't want to ch- chat about food in this book? Anyway, on page 13, it's early in it when she's at the H Mart wandering around. She sees a table with three generations of women, and it reads, at another table, there, there are three generations of Korean women eating three different types of stew, daughter, mother, and grandmother dipping their spoons into one another's bowls, reaching over one another's trays, arms in one another's faces, pinching at their different banchan with chopsticks. None of them pay any heed or give a second thought to the concept of personal space so this is my number one for a couple reasons one early thematic hints at kind of what she wants to talk about with food and its intimacy and everything intensity of it but more importantly this is my number one for personal reason which is that i just kind of envy this i 
have a very like protective sense of like when I get food on my plate, I get very protective of it or something. I'm like one of those selfish eaters, which is weird though. Cause I love making food for people. Like I love sharing a dish, but it's like, as soon as I have my helping, it's like, don't come at my helping. Like I made a bunch, just go get some of your, own. like, I wish I was this way, I guess is what I'm saying. This is an aspirational quote to me. I don't necessarily know if I'm the kind of person who ever just be like, let's all not have personal space. I, I don't know. There's something here though that I'm like, ah, I envy this. I wish I I wish I was this way mentally. <laughs> it's it's the person I'm not, but I find it very aspirational. Again, maybe not so in your face. Like I don't need somebody chewing a foot away from me or whatever. Like I don't need that necessarily. But there is kind of um you you, you know, you gotta fight your your own personality or something. In in this quote I see a part of myself where I like yeah, I wanna be more open, do more family style meals, like share more. It's it's something I wish I was more like, I guess. That's why I wanted to pull it. It was really jumped out to me. Did you do you find your family eating this way at home? Or do do you have this connection with your family, how you grew up and everything? Yeah, we definitely <clears throat> we share everything. Um which also my daughter will just like now just straight up take food off of my plate and I'm fine with it. But yeah, we we mm. um the the way that my family's table has been set up is that you you lay everything out and like for example, there's um one of my brother's favorite meals is kimchi jjigae, which is a kimchi stew with like mm-hmm. meat and obviously kimchi and also tofu. This one and, I know. This one I've had. Yeah, it's so good. Um, but instead of putting it into individual bowls for us to eat, all we have is our indiv- individual bowls of rice, and then we put the pot down in the middle of the table, and we just dig out what we want as we eat right right um so everybody's like sharing germs and everything else but um but yeah it's it's um it's just how we've always eaten and like reaching over somebody to like when i would watch movies where they're like please pass the whatever I, i was like is that really what people do or is that just like because these are like fancy upper class people with like humongous dinner tables and or even, something that's <laughs> even the fancier aspect of that is having a dining table where you have enough space for all that because ours was we would leave everything kind of either where it was cooked or put it on a counter and then it's like you serve yourself up at the counter and then you go sit at your spot you know what i mean like mm. at your table table spot um though sometimes we would put dishes on the table but usually no that kind of open dining i don't know though i I feel like i misremember my childhood sometimes too but you also pointed out an important fact which is just that when you have kids i think your relationship to food sharing changes it has to Mm -hmm. like it's (laughs) it seems really wild to think like i mean you can teach a toddler like please respect space personal space if if you you know want to raise them that way or want to be militant about it but no it does seem like something that's going to open up right Anyway, I I found, uh, if I can share a quick anecdote, like I remember, I always remember this. There's a dinner I went to once with my brother when he was living in Los Angeles and he and his friends there had, we went out to a, you know, it was like seven people maybe, um, went to a restaurant. One of my just all time favorite restaurants is a Thai restaurant. And the way they did dinner was just like, they just ordered to get like, no one ordered a thing for themselves. It was just like, what does the table want? Let's make this a communal. And I just remember Mm -hmm. being like, oh, you know, my initial reaction was like, oh no, like 
I don't, you know, this is how people eat in movies. Like, but, but in the end, it was, of course, it was great, and everyone got a million things they liked, and it was it was very fun to share. But it, it just, again, gives me a glimpse of, it's like, I wish I was that way. I wish that was, like, my default, you know? Instead, <laughs> instead it's like, I have to get, I have to, you know, push myself into those things. But, yeah, it's aspirational living, I guess. Um, any other thoughts on the food so far in the book? No, everything's been, like, uh, I just reading this book i'm like man i need to call my mom and be like mom can you make this for me (laughs) yeah it's it is tough to read hungry definitely tough to read hungry all right let's wrap with our final segment we'll try and make it a quick one but we always end with this in book club part one and that's please continue make it stop which is just what it sounds like reaching of one thing we've really loved in the book we wish to continue and then one criticism of something that's been bugging us or that we want to stop in the second half i'll go first i'll do my make it stop first because it's mostly been very good so i usually this is how it goes <laughs> if it's like if it's a book we've been liking a lot then we do these first because it's there's not a lot to say i will just say again there have been a couple of things dropped in that i don't know if they got their due page count and i already mentioned everything about her father so i nothing new to say there it's just like that feels like it's probably a different book and that's okay but it has kind of kind of poked at me there have also been moments and i didn't pull pages for these i'm just going to summarize but like there have been references to her college and teenage years and the trauma of it that i don't think she's explored maybe enough for me yet i i know that they have a a really traumatic there's obviously like you mentioned the scene of them her mother trying to beat her when she's like a teenager like to punish her by beating her and that's like really uncomfortable because you know she's like you said bigger than her mom and she wants her dad to do it and he's uncomfortable but like i i just think that maybe could get a little more play um I, that I think is the one thing that's been missing maybe is like, you know, what were those college years like? Like what communication did you have or didn't you? Or, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, not that there hasn't been enough. I mean, my God, it's far be it for me to be like, please more trauma, please. <laughs> uh, cause it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely intense and it's not like I'm disbelieving, but I do think that a lot of that has come quickly. And instead I wish, I guess there was a bit more of it or something, maybe mm-hmm. add more texture to, to the relationship. But that's the only thing I could think of. I mean, everything that she's put in the book has been worthwhile and very open and interesting. So it's more of a criticism of omission, really. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I get that. And and actually my, my criticism is, is fairly similar. Um, I just, from a slightly different perspective, it's just, um, I just wish that there were more, like you said, development. And so I'm connecting with her story and her half Koreanness. Like we've got a lot of shared experiences, but I'm having a harder time connecting to Zauner as a person. I think because her descriptions of like her emotions and of of her thought processes and stuff like that, it's just it's not as detailed it's not detailed enough for me anyway so yeah yeah so i find that like i can connect to the memoir because of of my own personal history but but as a person and and as she's writing this i'm i'm not connecting with zauner herself as much yet she's pretty i mean that's kind of the appeal though she's pretty blunt and is it brusque is the word i'm thinking of but like she's pretty upfront about her short her own shortcomings the kind of had the way in this care she cast herself as a hero and that that certainly creates complications emotionally for what's going on like i i like the honesty of it i do kind of agree though there have been moments when she's 
very quick to it's like she says the thing truthfully but it's very tell not show to use the you know the really cliched writing creative writing terminology <laughs> she's just really quick about things sometimes like she's very and again it's the honesty is the the thing to commend but then yeah i guess you're right like there are some emotional stakes um and some truths that maybe i don't know maybe yeah, she could have written more about or but yeah the the tone of it is pretty kind of keep it moving or the the pace mm-hmm. yeah and it's yeah i feel like it's been truthful but yeah maybe you're right it's there's a disconnect my, my please continue then is what i just said i'll just i guess you know chisel into stone i just think it's been, the honesty is important and i can see why when people read this then that they connect with it it's because you know when you're dealing with end of life care like there's such frustration and shame and even these odd kind of beautiful little hopeful moments or sweet moments too and she kind of includes it all it's, it's definitely been a brutal read in, in a sense but palatable and i think it's palatable just because of its honesty i think again the kie stuff i think added such an essential like she's so open about the frustration with that and she has this really great caregiver help her out but it's you can't look upon that as charity it's like she, there's a bit of frustration to it too and yeah, and the things with her father and how he's not helping how he should. Like it, I think all of the honesty is the, in the simplest way, the commendable thing. So I, I'm almost certain it'll continue. You know, I say please continue, like it'll stop. I, it just seems like it's the emotional register of the book. So, I think I can see why people connect to that. I, for some, I could see also where where it would be, without as you phrase it, without maybe like a bit more unpacking. I could see people thinking this is, I don't know, too intense or too kind of dismissive of certain things but i don't know i also think the honesty is commendable yeah i I like how honest she is and and the self-analysis that she does right i think that that's yeah that's really well done and it actually ties into my please continue so like with what i what i like is the non-linear aspect of the memoir especially how uh, these memories are kind of like interwoven with big idea themes. So she definitely organizes it thematically, which I like. Which yeah, yeah. Um, And the reason that I like that is because it lends itself to that self-analytical aspect of this memoir, which I think is the real selling point in a lot of ways. Um, right. And it, so I think that the structure actually lends itself to that. And, and that's what I'm a fan of. Yeah, no, definitely. It's yeah, it's been a really great read so far. I've enjoyed it. I think we're coming off of. Wait, are we coming off of one I didn't like? The order sometimes. <laughs> Just yep. yeah, I, yep. I don't know my own order of reading, but I, I feel like we're coming <laughs> off one that I didn't love. Oh, Midnight Library. Yeah, that was yep. very mixed, and this has been this has been a really solid just interesting piece of writing so far and and you know the honesty i think is the part of the draw any final thoughts on the first half of crying in h mart so far nope i'm good excellent yeah we'll see where the second half takes us see what other truths or revelations come out i have to feel like i don't know could she be kind of withholding more intense traumatic memories i don't know who knows what's left the the father stuff raises a lot of questions <laughs> maybe maybe we'll find out he was like an international drug smuggler next or that he like you know was like a a crime lord or who knows anyway what it, what is to be learned <laughs> um if you enjoyed this part one book club check out next week we post our book clubs every friday so check the back in the feed next friday for part two if you're listening to this in the future as we expect many will dig back into the archive then hey it should already be in the feed <laughs> we thank you as always for listening to the full episode we appreciate it if you could follow us on our social media facebook and instagram accounts we appreciate that too we're just at the lightly literary podcast which is all one word um and yeah follow us on itunes subscribe 
subscribe, rate, and review. Tell your friends and family, you know, post flyers around town, do all the traditional things. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thanks again for listening. And as always, we'll see you between the pages.